following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. The sermon this morning is a continuation of a sermon series entitled Old Words, New Life, Transformative Teachings from the Old Testament. One of the themes that appears in many Old Testament stories is the theme of how God answers prayer. The stories that we heard in the scriptures this morning both dealt with that theme. But to understand what those scripture stories are saying to us, we, we need to understand how to rightly read those stories because both of those stories have at times been seriously misunderstood. Today, therefore, I'll also be lifting up some of the concepts that are discussed in the volume we just published, Rightly Reading the Good Book. Let's be for a moment in a spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The first scripture passage we heard this morning was an often overlooked but fascinating story from the book of Joshua. The previous chapter in the book of Joshua describes how during the time when the people of Israel were settling in the promised land, they entered into a peace treaty with the Gibeonites, a group of people who lived in several cities there. Here's a great image for our world today, people wanting to live in peace with one another. But when the kings of the Amorites, who were hostile to Israel, heard about the peace deal, they were incensed. They gathered an army and launched an attack against the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites appealed to the Israelites for help, and Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, came up with an army to try to stop the invasion. Joshua's soldiers entered into battle against the Amorites. They gained the upper hand, but time was passing, and it appeared that with nightfall, the Amorites would be able to escape, to regroup, and to fight again the next day. The Israelites desired to bring the conflict to an end. So Joshua prayed to the Lord, and he made a most unusual request. As the scripture reports, Joshua spoke to the Lord, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Aijalon. He was asking God to make the sun stop so that he could have some more hours in the day. This is arguably the most outrageous prayer that anyone ever prayed in the Bible. But it is followed by a stunning statement. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. The sun stopped in mid heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. In the end, the Israelites defeated the Amorites, and there was peace again in the land. What do we make of a verse which says that the sun and the moon stopped? Some people want to simply take verses like this at face value, and they conclude that there was a day in the past when the sun stopped. Typically, such folks follow an idea called verbal inspiration, which holds that God dictated every word of the Bible so that it, if it says that the sun stood still and did not set for about a whole day, that must mean that, well, the, the rotation of the planet stopped, the sun stood still, did not set for about a whole day. 
based on that kind of thinking, an urban legend arose some years ago. The story was that NASA scientists were running calculations on their computers to determine the position of planets and stars at dates in the past and also the, the future, when suddenly the computers jammed. The problem was that there seemed to be a missing day, some point in the past. Then some guy got out the Bible and pointed out the story of Joshua's long day. The scientists adjusted their data to account for that day that actually extended about 48 hours. And with the new data in the computers, everything added up. NASA got inundated with inquiries from people asking about this occasion when, supposedly, NASA's, com NASA's computers proved the story in Joshua chapter 10. So much so that NASA generated a form letter which said, no, NASA's computers have not discovered a missing day in the past. This is the problem whenever people misread the Bible. They can end up making untenable claims. And you hear this kind of thing going on all the time today, where people will use the scriptures to make assertions that flatly contradict what we know from science. St. Augustine, back around the year 400, complained about this sort of thing in his own day. He wrote, Usually, even a non-Christian knows something about the earth, the heavens, and the other elements of this world, about the motion and orbit of the stars, and even their size and relative positions, and this knowledge he holds to as being certain from reason and experience. Now it is a disgraceful and dangerous thing for a non-Christian to hear a Christian, presumably giving the meaning of Holy Scripture, talking nonsense on these topics. Reckless and incompetent expounders of Holy Scripture bring untold trouble and sorrow on their wiser brethren when they are caught in one of their false opinions and are taken to task by those who are not bound by the authority of our sacred books. For then, to, utter, to defend their utterly foolish and obviously untrue statements, they will try to call upon Holy Scripture for proof and even recite from mem memory many passages which they think support their position. Although, quoting scripture, they understand neither what they say nor the things about which they make assertion. Augustine pulled no punches, and what he was concerned about continues to this day. Whenever people use the scriptures to make assertions that contradict science, they undermine the proclamation of the gospel because they turn non-believers away from wanting to hear anything about the Bible at all. It is very important in this regard to understand what is really meant when the New Testament says that all scripture is inspired by God. That the scripture is inspired means that God was at work to communicate God's truth through the scriptures. It does not mean that God dictated each word because if God dictated each word, that would make the biblical writers mere puppets. They were just transcribing each word commanded to them from on high. But that is not how God is shown to work throughout the entire biblical story. God regularly inspires people to participate in God's work, 
And they then use their own abilities and their own words to follow God's call. So in the formation of the Bible, people were inspired with God's truth, and people then used their own language, generally Hebrew or Greek, their own concepts, their own idioms to express that truth. In our story of Joshua, the biblical writer set about to describe a mysterious event from long ago. He naturally described it within the framework of his own understanding of the universe. In the ancient Near East, everyone had the same basic understanding of the cosmos. People in those days thought that the world was flat, sure looks flat. They thought that there is a dome over the earth, what we call the sky. They thought that the dome was solid and that it held back water that was above it, which is why the sky is blue. Every once in a while, some water comes through the dome, forms clouds, and it falls. That's why you see rain falling. You never see it go back up. They thought that the sun and moon and stars were orbs that moved across the dome. In that cosmology, it of course was conceivable that the sun and the moon could stop. This was not a biblical understanding of the universe. This was everybody's understanding of the universe. When the biblical writers and when pagan writers talked about the sky, their language naturally reflected that common understanding that the earth is stationary and that the sun and the moon move over it. This is no issue with regard to biblical truth because God was not using the biblical writers to communicate truth about astronomy. God was using them to communicate truth about God, about who we are, about what our purpose is, about how we should live. Notably, whenever the biblical writers are describing something about the universe, they always speak in terms of that ancient cosmology that was common to everyone else at the time. But as soon as the biblical writers begin talking about God, something very interesting happens. Suddenly, they diverge sharply from what everyone else was thinking at the time. Ancient pagan cultures typically believed that the sun and the moon were themselves divine entities. They were gods moving with power across the sky, and so they would generally worship the sun and the moon. But the biblical writers, in an extraordinary break from that pattern, said that the sun and the moon are just things. They are big lights that God has made. Biblical writers go on to describe God and God's activity in terms that are radically different from anything else that you find in the ancient Near East. There is one God, the scriptures say, who purposefully created the world. That was completely different from what everybody else thought. The general common myth of the time was that the world was the inadvertent result of an ancient battle between the gods. The scriptures say that God reigns over the world for good, which was entirely different from what the pagan religion said which was that the gods really could care less about human beings. And the scriptures proclaim that we and all of creation is being led by God toward a, multi, a, a marvelous destiny, which is an entirely different vision from the pagan one, which said that this world is just caught in an endless cycle going nowhere. In short, the biblical writers were inspired to proclaim a comprehensive set 
of profound spiritual truths. And it is spiritual truth that we should expect to find in the Bible. Christians have gotten off track whenever they have tried instead to make the Bible into a science book. That happened, for example, in the Middle Ages when the Catholic Church insisted, based upon our Joshua passage and some others, that the sun moves around the earth. And the church on that basis condemned Copernican theory, condemned Galileo, bringing untold damage upon the future proclamation of the gospel. What then should we be thinking when we are reading the Bible and we encounter at places an ancient pre-scientific view of the cosmos? We need to recognize that this pre-scientific worldview was simply the language, the conceptual framework in which the biblical writers wrote. We need then to look past that ancient framework to see what the scriptures are telling us about God and about how God would be at work in our lives. What happens when we look at this morning story in this way? Joshua and his people were in a mess. They were in a struggle with an invading army. They had gained the upper hand, but they needed more time in order to secure the victory. So Joshua lifted up a prayer, asking God to make the sun stand still. I expect that many of us can identify with that prayer. Lord, I need a few more hours in this day. Don't you feel like praying that sometimes? Of course, it was a rather ridiculous prayer, especially as Joshua expressed it when he asked for the sun to stop. What might God have said to Joshua in response? Joshua, you nitwit, the sun does not move. Or, who do you think you are, Joshua, that God should stop the rotation of the planet so that you can have a few more hours of sunlight? You're out of your mind. But in response to that foolish prayer of Joshua, God does something amazing. After the language about the sun standing still, the scripture goes on to say, there has been no day like it before or since, when, when what? We might naturally think the sentence should continue when God stopped the sun from moving, but that's not what it says. It says there's been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded a human voice. The perspective of the biblical writer is to say, the most amazing thing happened in this story of Joshua. Sure, the sun stopped, that's cool. But the really amazing thing is, God paid attention to a single human voice. This is the spiritual truth shouting forth from this story. It is that God hears prayer. It does not matter if the prayer is silly in its expression. It does not matter if the human voice is very imperfect in understanding the cosmos and what exactly needs to happen. God hears the need that is expressed. God hears Joshua saying, Lord, we need help. We need more time. And God also hears the faith in the prayer. Joshua himself 
had certainly never seen the sun stop before, even within his worldview. This was a most unusual request. But he trusts that God can do anything. God hears Joshua's need and his faith, and God acts in response and provides what is needed. We do not know exactly what happened. We know that to Joshua and his comrades, it seemed as though the sun stopped. Now, Joshua did not have a watch. He could not actually measure what was happening. The bottom line was that to his great surprise, he had enough time, and he and his army won the victory. Whether you want to understand this as God doing something unusual in space-time, or whether you see it as a case in which God empowered people to accomplish an unusually huge feat on a given day, the point of the story is that God enabled Joshua to win a victory that had seemed beyond reach. So what can we expect when we pray to God in our need? Often our understanding is limited and we may not know what we really need. Like Joshua, we might pray for something that is not what God would wisely do. It's like a story of a grandmother who was talking with her family about a problem she was having with her heart, that it would race at times. That evening, she heard her little granddaughter praying, Dear Lord, please make Grandma's heart stop so she can get some rest. We can be glad that God does not always give us exactly what we ask, but God hears our need and our faith, and God provides what we truly need. The great message in the story of Joshua is that the God of the universe hears the individual human voice, and God is at work in ways beyond our understanding. The story invites us to trust in God and to have confidence that God is at work for our good. The themes in the story of Joshua find a strong parallel in the other scripture story we heard this morning about King Hezekiah. from centuries later, when King Hezekiah was ill and apparently destined for death. The scripture reports, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Remember now, O Lord, I implore you, I have walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. This also was an imperfect prayer. Hezekiah was essentially saying, hey God, I've been faithful and good. Shouldn't I get a few more years? It is, of course, the sort of prayer we all might be inclined to pray for in Hezekiah's circumstance. We may know that every year that we've had is already a year that's a gift from God, we have not earned any more, but we naturally and rightfully pour out to God our feelings. God does not judge our prayers for how good our theology is. God responds to our need. In Hezekiah's case, God granted him 15 more years. In other cases, of course, God's answer may be that now, is the time to enter into God's everlasting kingdom. God's answer to human prayers is different in each case. What is constant 
is God's love for us, shown in God's caring response to Hezekiah. But then Hezekiah in the story continues in weakness of faith as he asks for a sign. His healing was not instantaneous, and Hezekiah wanted an assurance that healing would indeed be coming. This is something we may all long for at times, some assurance that everything is going to be okay. In the story, Isaiah had already told him that he would be well in three days, but Hezekiah was very impatient. He did not have the faith to simply trust in the prophet's words. He wanted to see a sign. God responded to Hezekiah with amazing forbearance, granting him whatever sign that he wished. Hezekiah asked for the shadow of the sundial to go back 10 intervals. The story concludes with God once again answering a silly prayer. God made the shadow on the sundial of Ahaz go back 10 intervals. Now here, of course, is another case where you could use the Bible to try to insist that God reversed the rotation of the planet for several minutes. I think it's more reasonable to think that God did something with the perception of Ahaz, so that, or with Hezekiah, so it, it seemed to him that the shadow had, had gone back. In any case, God was merciful, and God responded to Hezekiah's need. Even as Hezekiah made outlandish requests, God gave Hezekiah the assurance that he so deeply needed. In the end, these biblical stories do not tell us anything about astrophysics, but they tell us a great deal about how God will be at work in human lives today. Whenever you feel stressed and feel that you need a few more hours in a day, remember the story of Joshua. God might not make the sun stop, but God is present to help us so we can let go of our fears and trust that God will be at work in ways far larger than what we may comprehend. Whenever you are feeling anxiety and yearn for some sense of assurance that there will be an answer for your problem, remember the story of Hezekiah. God might not make your watch go backwards, but the scriptures assure us that God cares, and through the working of the Spirit, we can find an inward assurance and peace in our hearts. Or the next time you tune into the news and hear about the latest Russian atrocity or its latest threat to nuke the world, remember the stories of Joshua and Hezekiah. Joshua was facing violent and unprincipled opponents in his day, and Hezekiah had been facing the invading imperialists of his day, the empire of Assyria. It appeared in both cases that evil might gain the upper hand, but God was at work according to God's good purposes. We see those purposes culminating finally in Jesus Christ, who would win the ultimate victory over all evil and death. So we can commit ourselves to join in God's purposes we can trust in God's saving power. We can have confidence that God is leading us toward a bright future. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give thanks for that wondrous love and mercy that you show towards us, expressed most fully in your Son, Jesus Christ. Inspire us to put our trust in you, to know that 
You hear us in our need. You respond in ways far beyond our understanding. You are at work around us in wondrous ways for good. You are here to work in us, to enable us to journey as your people, to find our trust and our assurance in you, to know that you are here to guide us through every time of challenge, to know that you are here to help us to grow as your people, to share in the fullness of life and promise that you have for us. Inspire us, O Lord, as today we would put our faith in you and join as your people to live in fellowship with you and to know ourselves to be on a journey towards your eternal kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that you draw us together into the fellowship of your church so that here in this community of faith we can support one another, we can grow together, and we can reach out in mission to the whole world. We do reach out to people who are in times of particular need. We pray especially this morning for those who are sick and lift up particularly today Margie Stahl and Janice Anderson praying for your healing power. We also remember those who are mourning. We lift up the family and friends of Ruth Anstein and the family and friends of Beth Harvey praying for the comfort of your spirit, for the assurance that your children have a place in your everlasting kingdom. We thank you that we are connected to a broader church family. We lift up this morning our fellow United Methodists at the Cuyahoga Falls First United Methodist Church. We pray that you would lead us as we continue to grow in our understanding, O Lord, of your, of your, of your word, and that we might hear how you are speaking to our hearts today. Guide us as we grow in our faith, and as we join together to reach out into a hurting world to be instruments of your truth and your compassion in our time. Lead us, O Lord as we look to you in trust, and as we lift to you our praise. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.